Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keep the words, keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, we see here in verse 6, that these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must, what? We see that word again, soon take place. And what I want to do is just remind you about the beginning of our study and how we did the foundation of looking at Revelation chapter 1 and how the word soon could be better translated quickly. We hear the word soon and we think a measurement of time between periods of time. And actually the word translated soon here in our Bibles and better translated quickly is where we get our Greek word tachometer. A tachometer doesn't measure time, it just measures how fast something's happening. And that's really what this word, really the root of it means. In other words, when Jesus comes back, when the end actually happens, Everything that's going to happen is going to happen fast. I mean, have we not in this study looked at a whole lot of stuff that's going to be happening on the globe? There's not a lot of time for that all to happen, and it's going to happen in a short period of time. And when it happens, it's going to happen fast. Look at, we already saw it in Revelation 1.1. It's going to soon take place. We see Revelation 22.6. Look again. He says it again right there in verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at Revelation 22.12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay to each one for what he has done. Revelation 22.20. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So here we see it over and over. He keeps repeating the same thing to us. So it's kind of, kind of got to be important 
That when he comes, it's going to come quickly. And with each one, we don't have time to really break them down because of all that we need to get into tonight. But with each one, he brings another little reason why he tells us that he's coming soon. In other words, these things are going to soon take place. Verse 7, he's coming soon, so blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy of the book. Verse 12, I'm coming soon, and when I do, I'm going to bring my recompense and reward for some and judgment for others. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Okay, Lord, please come. But he has said to us, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen fast. But look also at the fact that it says in verse 7, And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I want to take some time tonight to talk to you about how do we keep the words of the prophecy of the book. But before I do that, I want to emphasize what the Bible describes and what the book of Revelation describes itself as. Has anybody caught that yet in verse 7? The book of Revelation is described as what? According to verse 7. Prophecy. Actually, four times in Revelation 22, the book of Revelation is called prophecy. You see it here in verse 7. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. Folks, how many of you have heard the book of Revelation described as apocalyptic writing? Anybody ever heard that term? We've heard that a lot, haven't we? Well, let me just tell you, apocalyptic writing is a genre of writing that really came about around 200 um, B.C. to 100 A.D. It's a, it's a man's term. And some of your Bibles, some of your older Bibles, instead of saying the book of Revelation, it'll say the apocalypsis of John. And for years, man has tried to, to, to clump, if you will, or group the book of Revelation into that genre of writing called apocalyptic writing. And the best way I can shortly describe what apocalyptic writing is, is that back in that time period between 200 B.C. and 100 A.D., there were these people who would write these Stories that were symbolic and, 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 and it was only for the people who were wise enough to understood what they meant. And, what the, and they would just tell these stories that were representing this and representing that. And, and because of that, and because the book of Revelation was written, we know around, around 95, 96 AD, people tried to clump the book of Revelation into that type of writing. And for years, many people in the church say that the book of Revelation is apocalyptic writing. You've heard that a bunch. But the Bible says that it's prophecy. I mean, it can't be any more clear. I've shown you four times in chapter 22. I could show you more in chapter 1. If the book of Revelation describes itself as prophecy, and remember from our study earlier at the very beginning, these things must take place over and over. Four times in the book of Revelation, the scripture says these things must take place. And if you remember, I told you back at the very beginning of our study, that word must is the same word must we see in Revelation, sorry, John chapter 3, verse 7, where John, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. We see that same word in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Hopefully you understand when the Bible says something must happen, it must happen. Well, the Bible says this is prophecy and these things must happen. With that in mind, I need to kind of quickly remind you of something we looked at last week. Go back with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And look at what Jesus told the two men on the road to Emmaus in verse 25. 
This is after Jesus rose from the dead. The two men kind of thought he was the one, but they weren't so sure now. The women had said they had seen angels that said he was alive. And a couple of the men ran to the tomb and they couldn't find him there. But we're not sure. Jesus, as you know, meets with them as they're heading back to Emmaus. And he says in verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, jump over to chapter 24, verse 44. Look at verse 44. This is after the two men now realize who Jesus is. They run back to the upper room. Jesus appears to them in the upper room. And in verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, there's that word again, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus comes and he says to them, look, guys, everything that's ever been written about me in the first five books of the Bible, that's the law, what Moses wrote, in the prophets and in the Psalms, everything that has been written about Jesus must be fulfilled. All right. And then as we already have seen, these things must take place, it says in, in Revelation. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Again, something we touched on last time, but I want to remind you, because I really want, this will help you understand how to keep the words of the prophecy if I take a few minutes here to kind of burn this truth into your brains or help the Spirit of God does, because if you get it from me, it won't last. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is writing this, and he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Don't miss this. Luke's the one that also just told us at the end of his first book, in Luke 24, 44 and following, verse 45 especially, that Jesus then opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Not only did he open their minds to understand the scriptures, for 40 days between when he rose from the dead and when he ascended to the Father, who did he appear to? The apostles and the believers. He didn't appear to Pilate. He didn't appear to the unbelievers. He only appeared to the believers. And listen, what did he teach them for the 40 days according to the scriptures? What did he teach them about? The kingdom of God. It says right here, he taught them about the kingdom of God. We've been taught that the kingdom of God is the spiritual thing, not a literal kingdom. Yet, He's already opened their minds to the scriptures. He's taught them for 40 days now about the kingdom of God. And look what happens in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? If he's been teaching for 40 days about the kingdom and he's opened their minds to understand the scriptures and the kingdom wasn't literally going to be restored to Israel, it wasn't having to do with the nation of Israel, but it was some spiritual thing, they would have grasped that by then. But they still know now that it is a literal kingdom. Of course, his response is, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. Now, some of you say, well, maybe they're just still dense. Maybe they just haven't gotten it yet. No, I can prove that to you from Acts chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Peter is preaching, and the Bible says that while he's preaching this message, he's full of the Spirit, which means he's under the control of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is not speaking right now. God is speaking. 
And in Acts chapter 3, verse 17, Peter says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you see it? He is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. The prophecies had already said that. That's why when Jesus came the first time, they kept thinking he was coming to set up the kingdom in Israel then. Because actually, folks, there are more prophecies about the second coming of Jesus and the literal kingdom on the earth. When you look at the scriptures and if they must be fulfilled, and as we've already talked about, every Old Testament prophecy that we know has been fulfilled was fulfilled literally, not symbolically, but literally, in the same way, everything written about him must be fulfilled. And Revelation is prophecy, not apocalyptic writing, and it must take place, and it will. And everything that's ever been written in the... Well, remember how we looked last week at how God described himself in verse 6? The Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets. He's tied all the Old Testament prophecy together with the book of Revelation. If you've already, if you learned anything, hopefully through this study, the book of Revelation is not a book that was written at the end of the church age or end of the time of the apostles writing the Bible to say we win in the end. But actually what, what the Revel- book of Revelation does is compile all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and some of the new and put them together in an order for us so that we would understand how things, these things are going to take place. And if you've looked at the Old Testament and hopefully through the study you've seen me show it to you, The Old Testament has in many, many places described in specific detail about the fact that Jesus is going to come back to this earth, literally reign on this earth, set his kingdom up in Jerusalem. It's going to extend to the whole globe from there. And it even talks about rebuilding Jerusalem from this tower to this gate. When we've already seen the redistribution of the tribes of Israel to the land in Ezekiel 37 and sorry, 47 and 48. And it's not even close to what it was back in Joshua when he gave him the land the first time. And so, folks, I, you don't realize this, but in this introduction, I've just taught you a little bit of how to keep the words of the prophecy. You believe them to be real. How do we keep the words of the prophecy of this book? We believe them to be real. Go back with me to Revelation 22 and look at what it says again in verse 7 through 9. Uh, 7 through 9. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of of this book. Do you see how the angel described the people who keep the words of this book? They're clumped in with who? The prophets. Those who have actually been told these things by God and who have the responsibility to pass them on to other people. Folks, you may not realize it, but one of the main reasons why the book of Revelation was given to the church, even though most of what happens in Revelation will happen while we're already back with him, the reason is, is we've been given the same responsibility as the prophets. Weren't the prophets, when they were given inspiration by God about what was to come, when they wrote their prophecies, doesn't Peter say that they searched intently trying to find out when these things were going to happen? And they were told, not in your lifetime, but you're writing it for another time period. 
And many of those things we're experiencing now in the church age, but in the same way, we have been given a similar responsibility to not only believe that this book is real, but to keep it in our hearts and to pass it on. And you may get mocked. You may even be ridiculed by other people in the, in Christ, the Christian community because over two-thirds of the church right now, over two-thirds of Christianity does not believe the book of Revelation is literal. Most of Christianity believes in an amillennial view, that these things are just symbolic. But folks, I want to challenge you because the scripture has said this is not apocalyptic writing. This is prophecy. And these things must take place. And everything written about him in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, which has been put together in the book of Revelation, must take place. You want to begin to keep the words of the prophecy? You walk out of here saying, I believe the book of Revelation is literal and real, and I think it's going to happen. And on top of that, you're not afraid to tell people that you think it's real and it's going to happen. All right? But at the same time, are we usually told to keep stuff that's bad? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach, are we to hold on to grudges? No. Are we to uh, keep record of wrongs? No. We're actually told to think on and to keep things that are right and good and pure. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. You want proof that what is to come that is literally going to happen is so amazing and so beyond our understanding? John falls down at the feet of the angel to worship when he sees this. And it's the second time it's happened. I don't know if you remember or not, but go back to chapter 19. Look at verses 6 through 10. He's seen the vision of Jesus' return and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it says in verse 6, Matthew 19, sorry, Revelation 19, verses 6 and following. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God, not symbolic. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, so here when in, John, in Revelation 19, he's seen that these things are true. He sees a picture of what's going to happen in the marriage supper of the Lamb in the Millennial Kingdom. It's so amazing. He just is overwhelmed. He starts to worship at the feet of the guy telling the angel telling it to him. The angel says, get up. You're not to worship me. I'm a servant just like you. And then in chapter 22, when he's shown this vision of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, and he's told these things are trustworthy and true. In other words, they're going to happen. What does he do? He falls down again. He can't help himself. And he knows better. And that got me thinking. If John is given glimpses of what is to come, and even though he knew better, because he'd already done it and been told by the angel, got scolded by the angel, even if he knew better, he still couldn't help himself and fell down to worship again. How amazing is what is to come. And then God brought all these scriptures to my mind. I want to show them to you real quick. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here it's talking about what's available to us now. And here he's already been, we've been told that what's available to us now because of Christ living in us is far more than you ever could even imagine or even ask for or even think of. And half of the time, we don't even ask God for stuff because we're afraid he's going to say, well, he wouldn't do that. That's, that's, the Bible says he's able to do more than you ever would have imagined or even asked for. Oh, but it gets better. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The, the scripture then goes on, by the way, and says, but he starts to reveal it to us through his spirit. We're getting glimpses every now and then. But again, what he's prepared for us is more than we ever could even imagine. Have you ever sit, sat around and just tried to picture what heaven would be like? Has anybody done that? We all have, haven't we? Guess what? Wasting your time. It's even better than that. It's even better than that. Enough to make John fall down at an angel's feet and worship when he knows better. Oh, let me show you another one. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Folks, you want to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? Believe that it's prophecy and not symbolic writing. Believe that it's literally going to happen Understand that this book is a compilation of the whole Old Testament and prophecies in the New Testament about the things that are still to come. Believe that everything written about Jesus in the first five books of the Bible, the, law, the, sorry, the prophets and the Psalms are all going to be literally fulfilled and that these things must take place. And you've already begun to keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Does that mean we have to understand them all? No, because there's parts we still don't understand. But when it comes to prophecy, a big chunk of prophecy will make sense to us as they happen if we knew what was in our heart. Let me show you what I mean real quick. I'll give you something the Tuesday night crowd didn't get, which probably might make me talk real fast at the end to get it all in. But I want to show you John chapter 2. Go to John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, look at verse 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Keep reading. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. In other words, twice now in this short place, 
The Bible says that there was something that the, script, the scriptures that the Bible, the, the, sorry, the disciples knew had been said, but it didn't make sense until it happened. Then they remembered zeal for your house. And then they remembered that Jesus had said these things were going to happen. Did the Jews, even the apostles and the disciples, even understand about the fact that he was going to rise from the dead three days later? He had told them and told them and told them, but they didn't quite understand it. But they knew what he had said. And when it happened, they were able to understand it. Remember what Jesus promised us. Well, go to John chapter 16 and look at verse 12. I want you to take it from Jesus' words himself. John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit's role is to help us understand what is to come. You want to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? Believe it to be real. Believe it to be prophecy. Believe it to be the word of God. Believe that it's going to happen. You don't have to even understand how. But when those days happen, if we happen to be on the earth, and a lot of the things are happening in our lifetime, the Spirit of God will bring to our remembrance and help us to see this is what I was talking about. See, this is what I was talking about. That's what happened in 1948 when the nation of Israel became a nation again. All of a sudden people go, wow. Maybe all those prophecies about the Israel in the last days really are going to happen. There was a time period it made no sense to them. But when it happened, then all of a sudden, and that's why all of a sudden a lot of people like me over the years have started to teach in a pre-trib, pre-mill view. Because 1948 sure helped a lot, didn't it? I can understand why people prior to 1948 had a hard time understanding that these things were all going to take place. And they came up with all these theories as to other views now instead of the biblical understanding because it made no sense to them. But, buddy, when it happened in 1948 that the nation of Israel became a nation, have you ever thought about the miracle of that in and of itself? Think about the fact that they not only have been scattered to all the nations, like Jesus said, in the judgment because of their rejection of the Messiah. At the same time, all throughout history, Satan's been trying to wipe them off the face of the earth because Satan knows that this stuff is going to happen. And he's been trying to kill them so Jesus can't come back and set up his kingdom in Israel because he says there's no Israel, he can't do it. And in one day, it becomes a nation. It wasn't a long, drawn-out process. They just said, we're a nation. And within 10 minutes, thank God for the president of the U.S. at that time, he said, I accept them as a nation. And that flipped everything, and they became a nation. Oh, there's still a lot of more things that are going to happen. But you want to keep the words of the prophecy? Know what it says. Believe it's going to happen. Because the Bible says, and we see this in Revelation chapter 22, look at verses 18 and 19. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the, what's that next word again? Prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. And if you remember our study, you don't want that. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And you say, Jimmy, if I ignore parts, am I going to lose my salvation? No, the Bible says that those who though teach false teaching, false teachers never had salvation. And I just want to warn you, 
If the Bible says you add to it, the plagues that are in it will be added to you, and you take away from the words of this prophecy. In other words, you act like some of this stuff isn't real, and you ignore it. It's blown my mind as I travel this country and I deal with churches all around the country that there are so many pastors in this United States who will not teach on the book of Revelation. They'll say, well, nobody really understands it, and there's so much controversy because of this. I just find it better to just to avoid the book. I don't want to cause problems in my church. And I look at them, and I say to them as lovingly as I can, because I don't got a lot of mercy. And I say, the, this is the only book in the Bible that says, blessed are those who read aloud the word of this prophecy and keep what is written. And that's the one you're going to skip? And for years, when I was younger and I used to teach prophecy and teach on the end times and teach on the book of Revelation, I used to do like everybody does and say, well, some people believe this view and some people believe this view and some people are post-trib and some people are this and some people are omelet. And I used to spend all my time teaching all the different views until one day I got convicted. And God said, Jim, why are you teaching what you don't believe? You see, I take very seriously James chapter 3, verse 1. But before I quote to you James 3, 1, let me also remind you of Matthew 12, 26. Matthew 12, 26, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, everyone will be held accountable for every idle word. Don't miss that. Will be held accountable for every idle word. And by the way, it might be 26 or 36, because now my brain's thinking it's 36. Matthew 12, 36. You'll be held accountable for every idle word. James 3.1, though, says, not all of you should seek to be teachers, my brothers, because those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability. Folks, I take very serious the fact that one day I will stand before my creator and I will be held accountable in a stricter sense for everything that I've stood here and said over the years in the pulpit. That's a serious thing. But I can look you in the eye and tell you, I believe without question these things are going to take place. This is prophecy, not apocalyptic writing. Take it serious. Keep it in your heart. Why? Because he's coming quickly. He's coming quickly. Look at verse 10, Revelation 22. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Now, again, this is one of those things that if you knew the Old Testament... This would have made a whole lot more sense to you. It wouldn't have seemed confusing to you at all. Because go with me back to Daniel chapter 12. You remember how I quoted to you that Peter said that the prophets of the Old Testament searched intently to find out when these things were going to happen. And they were told it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. Daniel's actually one of those prophets that Peter was talking about. In Daniel chapter 12, look at the prophecy that he's been given. It says, at that time, talking about the last days in the tribulation period, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. If Daniel was told that he wasn't to, he was to seal up the words, to shut them up and to seal up the words of the prophecy until the time of the end, 
And John was told, don't seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near. We should at least understand something. We're in the time of the end. We have to be. Actually, if you do a study of this, and I don't have time to take you there, the Bible actually said that the last days began when Jesus came to the earth the first time. The last days began, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 1, in the past, God spoke through his prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken through his son. I could go on and on and show you. The Bible says the last days began, but I believe the Bible is also showing us that we're in the last of the last days. Now, it's not for us to know the exact times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but the Bible says we're to be watching and paying attention, recognizing the time. Folks, we've been in the last days for a long time, but if the Bible says that Daniel wasn't supposed to open the words of the prophecy, they're going to be sealed and shut up. Up until the time of the end, and John, who has been writing a lot of the stuff that we remember in our study, we spent a lot of time in Daniel, didn't we? Because the stuff that John had been showed and told about the beast and the seven horns and the ten, seven heads and ten horns and all that stuff was all what Daniel had been told, but he's told, don't seal up the words of the prophecy. We're in the time of the end, folks. We have been for the whole church age. Why? Because this is the last time period before the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period. And those seven years left for the nation of Israel, the coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom, and then the new heaven and the new earth. Folks, we're in those last days right before the return of Jesus Christ. Yes, they've lasted a little bit of time, longer than many of us have thought, but at the same time, it's still going to happen. But look at the rest of verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Does that not describe the days that we're living in now? The time of the end is going to be marked by the fact that people are going to be able to go to and fro. And, buddy, aren't we able to just, boom, boom, hey, I'm going to be in Paris tomorrow. That wouldn't even have been fathomable back in Daniel's day. But now it's no big deal. Some of us can even be in England and back within the same day. And has knowledge increased a little bit? I've said this to some of you before. Let me remind you of this. When Paul sailed on his missionary journeys, in the Bible times, the technology was wood and sails. 1,400 years, 13 to 1,400 years later, when Columbus sailed, what was the technology for travel? Wood and sails. 1,400 years later. But in the last 100 years, we've even seen space shuttles become extinct, haven't we? They're like dinosaurs now. You know, my kids make fun of me because I have a 5C. I'm like, I don't know, it's a phone. But, oh, Dad, there's newer versions. And there's more technology right here than we've had. It's mind-blowing what all these things can actually do. I mean, how many of us grew up watching Star Trek? And I remember the next generation Star Trek where they would ask the computer anything. Remember that? They would say, computer, and it would tell them anything. You can do that now. It's scary. And guess what? It's going to keep happening right up to the time of the end. We're in the last days, folks. And so John was told, don't seal up the word of the prophecy of this book. In other words, if it wasn't to be known in Daniel's time or understood until the time of the end, there's two things I want you to understand is we have a benefit. We have a benefit over those in Daniel's day. Because ever since 95 AD, this stuff has not been sealed up. 
It's been available. God's not been hiding it from us. He even said, we already read it in John 16, 12. I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into some of the truth, all the truth, and he will show you what is to come. So, folks, let me challenge you to stop reading your favorite scholars and get in your Bibles and believe that the Spirit of God can teach you and open your eyes to truth. Too many of us think, well, I'm not very educated. I can't understand all that stuff. I haven't been to seminary. When you say all those things, you're saying the Holy Spirit is not able to do what he said he would do. He will teach you. He will show you. Read it for yourself. I have a role. Those of us who are called to preach and teach have a responsibility. But our responsibility is to teach and to show you, but to teach you how to study, how to go dig for yourself, and to encounter a relationship with the Lord Jesus yourself where he opens your eyes. And who knows, you might be standing up here next time the book of Revelation is taught if, the, if Jesus tarries. Look at verse 11. This has caused a lot of people problems over the years, though. Revelation 22, verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. In the midst of all this, it just seems crazy that God would say, let the evildoer still do evil, filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Wait a minute. I mean, he's about to just give an offer of salvation. Whoever's thirsty, let him come and drink from the river of life. Why would he say that? Well, here's what I want you to understand. If you let this whole of Scripture interpret Scripture, you'll find this verse is actually very, very comforting. What he's saying is this. If you remember back in Revelation chapter 19, I'm not going to have you turn there. Sorry, chapter 14. Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. What happened to everyone who takes the mark of the beast? I'm sorry? They're damned. Doesn't the Bible say that? If they take the mark, they're going to hell. Even though they may live through the rest of the time period of the, church, of, of the tribulation period, they're destined. They've already sealed their fate. What does the Bible teach us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 and 12 and 13? Go back there real quick. Let me show you what God's promised to us who will put our faith in Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at verses 12 and 13. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to his churches. In other words, what he's saying is this. Right before I give you this offer of salvation, which he's going to do real quick. He says, let me just tell you. You choose to go down the evil road and reject God's offer of salvation, yet that's where you're going to be for eternity. You choose to respond to God's offer of salvation, you're secure in your righteousness. Let those who are evil, they're going to continue to be evil. Those who are holy, they're going to continue to be holy. He's just setting that stage. And then he goes on and says it's not too late, though. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. He's, the offer still stands. The offer still stands. Even though at this point, we've already seen the whole end of history, if you will. The end of man's history. And all we're at now is the new heaven and the new earth. And the only people on this planet are the righteous. He's still offering 
Why? Definitely because he's merciful. But look real quickly to uh, um, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. What is our responsibility again? Remember, we're only here for a short period of time. We've been saved to make Israel jealous, to display the glory of God and his graciousness to give salvation without price. And, they, and, and he's given us what is eventually going to be given to the Jews. Remember, he's promised them in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, Ezekiel 36, 22 and following, that in the last days at the end of the tribulation period, all of Israel that's left will be saved. And he will then put his, erase all of their sin, put his spirit in them and move them to follow his decrees. That's what we've been given now. It'll happen to the Jews at the end of the tribulation period, but we've got it now. He's erased our sin. He's put his spirit within us. And he's moving us to obey his commands. Well, if we learn to live, walk in the spirit, we learn to let the spirit have control instead of trying to help him. At the same time, the Bible teaches that this church age comes to a close. And what is our responsibility in the meantime? To tell everybody about this awesome salvation that is available to all. And so he says, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my reward with me. And look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I'm come back to the verse in just a second. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride, who's that? That's us. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In other words, our role is to believe this book, tell people this is going to happen, show them what it says. So as the world chaos continues, they'll start through the spirit of God to start to realize maybe those people were right. And to tell them that this salvation is still available until what? The day that he comes back. At that point, if you're evil and unrighteous, that's where you're going to be for eternity. And if you're righteous and holy, that's where you're going to be for eternity. Go with me real quick to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is one of the best ways that the scripture just puts it all together. This actually is almost a, a really short version of the book of Revelation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Peter says, this is now um, the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And that, boy, we keep seeing it now, aren't we? The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Don't miss this. We have read this over the years and thought the scoffers were the unbelievers I think the scripture gives us a hint here that many of the scoffers will come from within the believing community. Because do the unbelievers think that we were created? Do the unbelievers think there was a creation? No. They believe in evolution and billions and billions of years and all this stuff. But look at what he says. These scoffers are going to say, where's this coming you pre-trippers talk about? Everything continues on just like it had since the beginning of creation. And they keep reading. For they deliberately overlooked this fact 
that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by the means of these the world then, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. In other words, he doesn't measure time like we do. So stop worrying about how long it's going to be. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day the Lord will come like a thief. I think the Bible calls it soon or quickly. It'll come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Everything we see here is going to be burnt up after the millennial kingdom. And we're going to be on that new heaven and that new earth. But there's something in here I want to take a second just to kind of help you with. Uh, I'm not going to turn there because i got so much more I want to get in before we close. But listen to this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says that God has already set the day of judgment. The day that Jesus is coming back has already been set. The day that he's coming and his reward is with him and his recompense is with him has already been set. It's not waiting on anything. It's been set. Then why does the Bible say that we're to hasten its coming? For years we've heard people say, well, you know, the Bible says that the gospel will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. As soon as we get the gospel to that last part of the world, then the end. And you've already heard me teach you that that's not what the Bible's teaching. Because when Jesus said in, Revel in, in Matthew chapter 24 about the gospel being preached to the whole world and then the end will come, he was referring to the angel in Revelation chapter 14, verses 7 and following, that at the end of the tribulation period, we'll preach the gospel to the whole world all at once, and then the end will come. Matthew 24 is simply talking, he's describing the tribulation period, the wars and rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the destructions, all these things, false Christs. He actually is just describing the tribulation period, and when the, he said the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come, He's talking about that angel. He's not talking about our responsibility. The best way I can illustrate to you what it means to hasten his coming is to remember. Have you ever watched a runner rounding third who's slow when you're watching baseball? And you want him to score. And you're going, come on, come on. What are you doing? Are you actually affecting how fast he's running? No, you're not changing anything, the poor dude. I, I, my son used to, I mean, he loves baseball, and, and he's got Johnson jeans. We've never, any of us have been fast. And I used to always yell out, drop the piano and run, because he's just lumbering around the bases. But when that guy's coming around third, you're going, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's how you hasten the coming. You don't change the date, but you're cheering it on, aren't you? I sure am. I sure am. You're going to see that at the end of our study of Revelation, hopefully tonight. All right. But I want to show you a couple things real quick. Look at how Jesus describes. He keeps giving descriptions of himself, even to the very end here. In Revelation 22, 13, he describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Don't miss this. He's saying, I'm God. And, and I'm going to repeat this because a lot of people in Christianity still haven't fully grasped that Jesus is God. 
When he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, he's talking about the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on and says, everything that's been made has been made by Him. Colossians chapter 1 says the same thing, verses 16 through 18. That there's nothing that has been made that wasn't made by Jesus, and He made the visible stuff and the invisible stuff. He's been here all along, and He'll be here Forever and ever. He's the beginning and the end. He's God. But then he goes and describes himself in another way in verse 16. He says, I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Describes himself in two ways here. When he describes himself as the root and the descendant of David, he's saying, I'm man. If he's a descendant of David, by the way, in Revelation chapter 5, look at verse 5. You'll see he has already been described that way. In Revelation 5, 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So again, he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Again, for the sake of time, if you want to write this down, go to Isaiah 11, verses 1 uh, through 5. And it says that a, a, a shoot from Jesse, which, as you know, David gave birth, sorry, Jesse gave birth to David, and David, of course, in time to Jesus. He'll be full of the spirit of this and the spirit of that, and it lists the seven spirits of God. All along, the Bible said that the Messiah was going to be a man. A lot of people didn't understand that he was also going to be God, even though the prophecy said in Isaiah 9, 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next part? Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The prophecy all along had said that the Messiah would be a man coming from David, but he would also be God. And Jesus is reminding them, I'm God, but I'm also man. And folks, that's great for you and me. That's so great for you and me. Because the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall die. And if there's going to be a sacrifice for sins, since man sinned, a man has to be the one who pays the price for man's sin. Remember the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats isn't going to take away sin. You can't have an animal pay your price. A human has to pay the price for man's sin. But it has to be a sinless sacrifice. And is there anyone on this planet that's able to do that? Never has been, never will be, except the one who is also God and was able to live without sin, yet he was also man. And he's going to be man for eternity. I don't know if you've ever caught this, but the Bible even shows that you'll still see his marks in his hands and in his side for eternity. Well, why? Well, because he's God, and he became man, and he'll continue to be both. That's just an amazing thing. But he also describes himself as the bright morning star. Now, I'm going to have to ask you to just stick with me here as, fa as best you can, because this one's a little bit harder to grasp. But if you'll stick with me to the end, I think it might get exciting for some of you if you, if, if you can grasp it. Go back with me to the book of Numbers. Book of Numbers. And I'm going to use this opportunity and talking about the bright morning star to caution you about believing everything in your study Bibles. We'll get to that in just a second. In Numbers chapter 24, look at verses 15 through 19. Numbers 24, verses 15 through 19. If you remember the story of Balaam and how he was being hired by Barak to, uh, sorry, Balak, to, to curse the Jews. But every time he'd go to do it, the Spirit of God would prophesy blessings through him. 
This is one of those times. Look at verse 15. And he took up this discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the, the forehead of Moab, break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. All right, so we've seen already this much that he says that Israel is going to be okay, and out of Israel, out of Jacob, is going to come a star. Stick with me. Go to Isaiah 60. 60, 60, Isaiah 60, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Again, talking about the millennial kingdom, but again, arise, shine, for your light has come. There's going to be a darkness over the whole earth, and then all of a sudden, a brightness is going to come to Israel, and the nations are going to come to its light. Go to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, Zechariah all of a sudden just starts prophesying. The Spirit of God just starts speaking through him. Zechariah says, you know, John the Baptist's daddy. In, in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, be, we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear." in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our, our feet into the way of peace." So it's already said in the prophecy way back in Numbers that a star is going to come from Jacob. Now it's going to say sunrise shall visit us. One more place. Go to 2 Peter. Actually, no. We go to Revelation 2. Go to Revelation 2, and then we'll end up with 2 Peter. Revelation chapter 2. Again, you've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Revelation 2, verses 26 through 29. Jesus says, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here, he says, to those who have faith, there's going to be a time future that he gives us the morning star. Don't miss that. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And this one ties it all together. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. 
Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So you know what he's talking about now. Peter's talking about the transfiguration when he and James and John were there and Jesus' glory started to shine through his flesh and he just started to glow. We have the prophetic, and he says in verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Folks, don't miss this. Do you have Christ in you now? Oh, but just wait. Oh, but just wait. The Bible shows us that God has given us a picture of what is to come every single morning. Oh, your study Bibles are going to say the morning star is Venus, not according to the scripture. By the way, you do understand that the sun is a star. The sun that our earth, what's the name of the word is? Rotates around. Thank you. Revolves. That's what I was looking for. Revolves around. It's a star. And every morning God's designed it that it'll rise. Of course, it's not rising. It's just an earth rotation. We always talk about, I want to go see the sunrise. Oh, you're not going to see it move. You're going to watch the earth rotate. <laughs> but the Bible says that a star like the sun is going to come. Something that bright is going to come out. Didn't the Bible say that he's going to be so bright and so amazing that he won't need the sun or the moon because his light will be there? And doesn't the Bible say that to him who conquers... I'll give the bright morning star. We have a taste. Jesus is in us. And everything we need for life and godliness in this world is ours right now. But just you wait. Because Peter tells the believers there's going to come a time future when that morning star is going to rise in our hearts. Folks, I don't want you to miss this. Can you even imagine what Jesus felt when that glory started to come through him? It probably felt pretty good, don't you think? Having been God and then walking around in this flesh, that probably felt really good. It's like, oh, yes, you're going to feel it, too. You're going to feel it, too, because remember, we talked about it before. I believe the Bible hints at the fact that we're going to glow. We're going to have the glory of God. We're going to have the Shekinah glory. That's how Adam and Eve were naked and they didn't realize it. But then when they sinned, they lost that glory. Moses, who was in his presence, actually just had a reflective glory. When Jesus is allowed, when our flesh has been done with and we get our new bodies and the God that lives within us is allowed to have full, full, full control, the morning star is going to rise in our hearts. And folks, that's going to feel awesome because it's just going to be wow. And we're going to fall down, probably worship angels, and they'll smack us in the head and say, knock it off. Don't do that. <laughs> Let's close. Yeah, we're skipping stuff in my notes that I've already kind of covered in the earlier part of the lesson. Let's finish this. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. I love the response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's hastening his coming. So we've already got our script in front of us. I'm going to read to you Jesus' words. You read to you. Read your response. All right, you ready? Let it rip. He who testifies to these things, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. Our response is? Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You can do better than that. 
Let's let everybody listening online wish they were at this study tonight, all right? He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May God's grace be with all of you. I love you. Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you in the fall when we study Ezekiel. Thanks for coming.